Episode 75 of the Online Chicken School Podcast. Today we're talking about fans in the coops, Dwayne in a fence, cats and chickens living together, and will the state test your birds for diseases for free? It's time for the Online Chicken School Podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your schooling. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. It doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city. This is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. Okay, I got to start off by saying I have no idea where this thing's going to go. Oh my. So hold on. Here we go. There's a whole lot of crazy wrapped in this episode. <laughs> that is true. Well, the first one I think we need to talk about is fans in the chicken coops. Yes. And uh, we had a fan in our chicken coop. Would there you... still is a fan <laughs> in the chicken coop. It's just not receiving power right now. Uh-huh. We had this idea to put the fans in the chicken coops. And if you want to run the fans, you have to run an extension cord out there. Mm-hmm. And someone whose name rhymes with schmoozy mm-hmm. went to the store to get extension cords. Yes. And bought green ones. Yes, because then they blend into the yard and Gordo isn't as likely to bite through them and electrocute himself. He seems to be attracted to the orange ones. However, a drawback of the green ones is that when Don is mowing the lawn, uh, sometimes he doesn't see him until he's kind of right up on top of him. <laughs> We have gone through so many extension cords over the years. I got to tell you, it is, we should have stock in the companies. Well, and to be fair, I have run over every single color they make. That is true. And I've done one too. You know, I'm not without fault, but uh, let's just say our chickens are fanless right now. There is nothing blowing in that coop. The problem is I usually mow the lawn at about five inches high. Mm -hmm. And... If you drop an extension cord in the grass, as long as it's not bunched up in one place, you'll sail right over the top of it and you're never going to catch it. Mm -hmm. And that is what happens most of the time. So I don't think about it. We have a a few extension cords running here and there and I just go over (laughs) the top of them and I don't have to worry because I know they're not going to hit. Right. But I came flying around the corner of the chicken coop and I was going pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but... While I was driving, there is, there are, you know, it's a zero turn mower and there are these two bolts that screw into the frame that limit how far you can push the control arms, which make it go fast. Uh-huh. I was playing with those, loosening them up to see how fast I could get the mower to go while I was mowing. Oh no. I came around that corner pretty fast. Well, and I saw you. Like, all of a sudden, back up. I'm like, what did he hit? Did he hit the coop or what happened? Because I was outside. And then I saw the electric pieces flying through the air. <laughs> like, oh, no. Because well, I came around the corner and I all of a sudden I just looked down one foot in front of the mower right before it disappeared under the mower. There was a spot where all the cords were kind of bunched up together. So they mm-hmm. weren't laying flat on the ground. They were bunched up. And I just saw them as they went under the mower and it was too late to stop. And all I heard is... <laughs> I'm like, nuts. Well, and we had both almost had heat stroke by that time because we've been working out in the yard all day. Yeah, it was a long day. And 
okay, you are lucky you didn't have to take me to the hospital because my first thought was, oh, go over and grab the pieces. Oh, geez. From both ends. And right when I went to reach for the live side, which I'm, sh- it popped the breaker, I'm sure. But I went, ooh, you know what? I should probably unplug that before I go grab this live wire here, this nice bare wire. Well, especially since you haven't exactly been right since you decided to test Gordo's shock collar with your finger. <laughs> yeah, let's You've not You've been talk a little off, that. so I don't know if you need any more electricity. No, I, I already shock you every time I touch you, so <laughs> stay away from that. Every time you walk through a room, the lights like warble a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is not that I ran over the extension cord. Okay. The problem is I run over the extension cords with such frequency. <laughs> over the winter, there were some parts of my mower. This is like a big commercial mower. This is not your little, little girly man, zero turn <laughs> mower. This is a serious man's zero turn mower. Mm-hmm. But there were a few parts where the paint had gone bad. You know, it's an older mower and the paint was missing in some areas. So I decided while I couldn't mow over the winter, I made it my project to entirely strip down the mower and then repaint it. Yes. And you did because it was all red. Yeah. But faded red. Faded red. But I repainted it like right before I started painting, my creativity kicked in. Oh, man. Which Susie hates. I do. Because it's like, okay, you want to strip all the parts off the mower that's fine. We can move the coops with the golf cart, which you don't like us doing, but we'll do it. And you always say something like, it's going to be quick. It'll be done in like two weeks. I think that thing was down for what? Three months? Something like months? that. Yeah. To turn a one week job into a 12 week job takes creativity. <laughs> uh-huh. But I repainted it, not in the original red, but basically, if you know what a P-47 Thunderbolt is from World War II, <laughs> I did a tribute mower to a P-47 Thunderbolt. And for those of you who are not pilots or are not married to pilots, that's an airplane. Well, now I realize that that was actually an appropriate theme because <laughs> I'm going to, on the shoot where the grass comes flying out at 80 miles an hour, uh-huh. I'm going to start putting kill markings for every extension cord, every Kitty pool, uh, uh, every, every sprinkler, hose, every hose, every sprinkler head. <laughs> Just start tallying them up. In aviation terms, I would be an ace in many categories. Yeah, I think we're going to have to post a picture of your uh, airplane mower because it is pretty cool. Yeah, maybe we'll have to get to that. But uh, anyway, so. If you're going to run extension cords out to the chicken coops in the summer to run the fans, just uh, kind of watch out for them when you're mowing the lawn. Absolutely. All right. So I've got a funny story to tell. And you know, one of those, you know, when you're going through something, it's not funny at the time, but then you look back, you're like, oh, that was pretty funny. That This is what that story is. Because I had let the bard rocks out and they were running around having a good time. And of course, Dwayne, the rooster, is massive. And because the dogs love to dig along the house, I've got poultry netting up. Not to keep the chickens out, but to keep the dogs out. So I went to go lock up the coop because whenever I go out there, they're all up on the roost pole and I go up and only the girls are there. I'm like, what the heck? So I go in the other side of the coop and I'm like, where is your boyfriend? Where is he? He, he can't possibly disappear because he's so big. It's not like he's in the neighbor's yard because he couldn't fly over the fence or, you know, go through the fence. I grab a flashlight. I am walking our entire yard. <laughs> I mean, at night. And I'm like, he should be making a noise. I started looking up in trees. I'm starting to freak out. 
And then our lazy dogs finally come out of the garage and like, oh, what's going on? And I'm like looking at Max, trying to communicate to him. Find the chicken. Like Dwayne. find. Yeah. Find Dwayne. Go get the chicken. <laughs> you know, and just like <laughs> I couldn't tell if he was getting it. But then like three minutes later, after I was making my second walk around the property, I noticed Max and Sadie like almost, you know, kind of like a pointer where they they kind of just put their nose by something and they're just mm-hmm. standing really still. Okay. And Max has that. He, he he likes to like, he isn't really pointing like a pointer, mm-hmm. but he can't stop looking at it. So the effect is the same. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, he must have found the chicken up by the house, by the poultry netting. So I go up there and sure enough, there is Dwayne tangled all up in these squares of wire. I'm like, oh my gosh. And he's not moving. He's not blinking. He's not making a noise. Like, oh my gosh. Did Dwayne die? You know, you oh, like, I was freaked out and you weren't home. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I touch him and then he kind of moves a little bit. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. And then I notice his wing is tangled up in it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, if he broke his wings, you know, always the worst case negative scenarios is what I'm going for here. Um, I take my time and I slowly free him. And thankfully he wasn't freaking out. He was just staying real still because it was so dark out. And then I grab him and I put him up back up on his roost pole and he would not shut up. <laughs> it was like he was telling the girls his adventure. <laughs> Either that or he was yelling at them saying, why did you come back to the coop and leave me there? <laughs> why do you guys keep calling that a poultry net? Yeah. That is not good for poultry at all. Oh, and just as I was putting him up on the roost pole, you came driving in. You're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'll He's tell you later. He's telling the ladies. He's yeah. telling the ladies. Listen. When that crazy lady tells you that's a poultry net, do not listen. Yeah. It is not for poultry. Well, somehow he'd gotten over the net because he was coming back out of it. I don't know how he did it. He's one crazy bird, but that was exciting. Challenging week on the farm. Mm-hmm. And now, the news, news, news. <laughs> Okay, in the chicken news today, I have to share something because I think, when did you show this to me? A week and a half ago? Oh, at least, yeah. And I have not been able to stop thinking about it since. I just, I don't know how I've been able to sort of contain it because it's just, my thoughts on this thing just want to come out. (laughs) Really? I didn't know it was going to provoke so much thought. Well, first of all, I don't even know how to classify this thing. This thing is like so much from another world. Mm -hmm. When you... There's, there's this video that Susie showed me. And basically, this is, was it from the manufacturer? I think that made so, because it was kind of like a promotional video. Yeah, it was, it was, the video was made, and to me, the way I remember, now again, it has been a week and a half. I should have maybe watched it right away before we started. But the video seemed to have sort of a pride in this machine. Mm-hmm. Like, check out this amazing machine that is going to change the way we care for chickens forever. Yeah. That sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? It does. Now, the way meat birds are raised is not in a cage. Mm-hmm. All meat birds are cage-free. Right. And they basically put however many they can fit inside a warehouse. Right. They call it a barn, but it's really like a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And they all live on the floor. They're all jam-packed in there, and they stay there for eight weeks. And then, I don't know, 30, 40 guys come in. And they just start scooping up all these chickens and throwing them into cages, loading them on a truck, and away they go to the processing plant. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, 
as you can imagine, if you've got 50,000 chickens in a barn, scooping them all up by hand and putting them in cages is very labor intensive. Oh, yeah. And the people you hire to do that job are the kind of people that tend to get you featured on YouTube when (laughs) someone goes undercover and you see like these day laborers or the cheapest people that they could find. And they're just chucking the chickens into cages. They're stepping on them, kicking them. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's pretty Mm -hmm. ugly. It is. Well, this is going to revolutionize all of that. Okay. This thing I can only describe as it's like a walk behind device, but it's got these big arms that have what look like a combination of a street sweeper bristle Mm -hmm. and one of those car wash things that goes spinning around. That's a good description. Yeah, and they go spinning around with these big flappy fingers, and all you do is just drive this right at the flock (laughs) on the ground, and those big spinny things basically knock the chickens into the open mouth of this device, Mm -hmm. which then spits them out onto a conveyor belt, and they go out the conveyor belt to the cages and then into the cages. It is really bizarre. Now- you have to go see this video. I'll put the link in the show notes. Did you put it on Facebook yet? I have not, but okay. I'll, I'll definitely post it once this airs. Yes. As soon as we air, put it on Facebook. You have to go watch this because the way I described it, you're probably on the fence. I'll bet you half of you are like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. And half of you are probably like, hey, that's pretty smart. And it was clever. Mm-hmm. But when you watch it in action, I'm curious if... You, as the listener, had the same reaction I did. Because first I was like, wow, that's clever. And as I watched the chickens getting flung into this thing, I kind of changed my opinion. I'm like, I do not like this crazy device at all. Well, that's the same thing I felt. You're watching, you're like, this is really cool. And I could see where it'd be helpful. And it's probably a lot quicker. The longer you watch it, you get more and more disturbed. Yeah. They are not gently being nudged into this thing. No, I mean, you wonder, what is the chicken thinking? Not that chickens think a whole lot, not that they have huge brains, not like anybody's ever trying to compare people with chickens, but like, what could they possibly be like, oh, I'm walking along, walk, whoa, you know? (laughs) I I think it would only be slightly less violent if you walked around with a a large vacuum hose, just went, you know, you know what? Sucked them into a hose. It may be even a little less violent. I mean, the way those little flappy wheels went spinning around, I mean, it it kind of knocked those chickens right into that device. It wasn't like it kind of nudged them over that way. Mm-mm. They weren't going under their own power. No, I don't know. You guys have to let us know what you think, because to me, a little bit disturbing. Yeah. Would there be an age limitation on this video? No, I don't think so, because I think it's important. It's not that bad. You know, it's not like it's it's bloody or, you know, vulgar or anything like that. But I think kids need to see where their food comes from. And this is the commercial meat industry. This, you know, is actually a kinder, gentler way. So you could just imagine what happens without these machines. But I think it's important for kids to see. I'm really curious to hear what our listeners think. So by all means, check us out on Facebook, find the video, and then comment, because I'm curious to read your comments. But for that one person, and you know who you are, who's going to say, yeah, but Don, you kind of hinted at my answer already is that isn't this better than all the people running around just kicking him into cages and all that kind of stuff? 
that's not really a question because, you know, that's saying you sanction that whole activity. There is a way to do it by hand where you aren't kicking them and throwing them like a baseball. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's kind of not like, well, you have the choice one or the other. Yeah. There are other options. <laughs> so yes. I agree. It's disturbing, but um, couldn't stop watching it. Yeah, it is mesmerizing in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all the news for today. You asked for it. Here it is. Well, we received a question on Facebook from Eric in Ohio. And Eric says, Dear Don and Susie, I have a stray cat that has been hanging around our farm for about four months now. She has really taken a liking to our chickens and duck. Our chickens are free range and she walks around them all day long. Our chickens don't seem to pay her any attention at all. My question is, would it be at all possible for her to be able to sleep in the coop with the chickens at night in the future if all goes well? Thanks and keep up the good work. I just thought that was such an interesting question. I mean, first off, there is no doubt cats are predators, okay? They go after mice. They go after small animals. So you go, first thought, no, no. Why would you ever do that? You know, and then you have to kind of take a step back and go, well, let's think about this. Well, and cats are pretty good at being predators, too. Yeah. After all, they are just miniature tigers. I got to tell you right off the bat here, I'm not a cat person. Well, most people who, when they're within 50 feet of a cat and their eyes swell up to three times their size, are not cat people. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the allergy definitely does play into it. I never had cats. I never wanted to be around cats because I couldn't stop sneezing. But I just like dogs. They're just always so friendly, and cats just seem like such snobs. I don't know. Well, the thing about that is you will never, ever in your life come home to your dog, and look at the look on his face and wonder, were you just plotting my death? Right. But cats, I get that impression all the time. Oh, yeah. They're just they're just waiting for a reason to pounce on you or something. Like, if we can just get rid of that big one, <laughs> we've got it made. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the thing is, cats are programmed that way, and they have the ability to go after a hen. Mm-hmm. And if they decided to, I don't think the hen would be in good shape. No, the hen could throw a couple pecks in there, but um, it's not going to compete with a fistful of razor blades <laughs> yeah. from that cat. Well, I don't know. On the last episode, we talked about the dinosaurs versus chickens, and supposedly them chickens came out okay. Yeah, but there were, what was it, 20,000 of them. Well, that's true. Well, cats just aren't really interested in chickens. It's very rare for you to hear a story um, I came home and my cat was attacking my chickens. You, you don't hear that. You hear that more with dogs. But although it's very rare, I wouldn't say it never happens. So if your cat kills one of your chickens, it's not going to be like it's the first time that ever happened. But what I'm saying is it's not very common. Cats don't eat things as big as a chicken. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's all about the size. That's right. So as far as your adult chickens... You shouldn't have a problem. Now, do not, under any circumstances, put out your baby chicks to be with a cat. Oh my gosh, yeah. That would be a bad, bad, bad day. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling they wouldn't have any problem going after a chick. I, I just have no doubt in my mind. So the question is, where's the cutoff in between? Mm-hmm. Personally, I'd play it on the safe side and wait till they're uh, 
you know, almost adult size. Yeah. They don't have to be full size. You know, maybe six months, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I think in six months they should be big enough that the cat's not going to be interested in them. But you've seen how the cat reacts around them. The cat isn't, you know, based on what you said, the cat's not stalking them and, you know, hiding in the leaves, waiting for a chicken to come by. Mm-hmm. So I think you're fine. If the cat was interested in whatever size they are, I think uh, the cat would have shown some interest by now. Now, the cat may not look at the chicken as food, but my concern would be if one of the hens is a little bit of a bully mm-hmm. and decides to go give the cat a couple pecks on the head. <laughs> and the cat, let's say the cat maybe doesn't go to church every week and maybe isn't forgiving very much. Yeah. It's not the uh, turn the other cheek kind of cat. No, it's the, I'll show you the paw. That's the situation I would worry about is, and again, I don't think this is a a great possibility, but the situation I worry about when they're all trapped in a coop together, you know, you've described how they are out on the plains of your backyard. Mm -hmm. Trapped in a coop together, my concern is that, you know, chicken decides to bully the cat, gives him a couple pecks, the cat takes a swipe or two at the chicken, not intending to kill it, just to get away from me. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you can, that cat can pretty easily cut up the chicken and now you've got blood involved in the situation. And as soon as you've got blood, now you've got the other chickens getting involved. And maybe my imagination's running away from me, but still, I can't get this scenario out of my head. And you said they all get along together, but I would want to sort of put them in a coop together and then observe for a little bit. Oh yeah, don't, definitely. Don't lock them in a coop together and then walk away and say, I hope I see you in the morning. Mm-hmm. Now, Eric did mention at the end of our conversation that he has three roosters as well. They're they're all the same age as the hens. My concern is those roosters are probably just now starting to get their testosterone in. I would be a little leery because I've seen how our roosters, once they reach a little bit of maturity, protect their hens. And that cat may just be walking by the hen and that rooster thinks he's up to no good I, I, I could see the rooster going after them. Well, you know how roosters, they start to get full of testosterone and then they love to chest bump each other? Oh, yes. That it's kind phase. Of, it's kind of cute when they're small. You know what I wonder is how would a cat react to a rooster coming up and giving the cat like a chest bump? Like, hey, boom. <laughs> how, how would a cat even process that? Like, I, I don't know. I would hope it wouldn't give them a little smack back, you know? (laughs) Well, Eric, if you have decided to let your chickens and cat cohabitate, we would love to see pictures. All right. Well, we received an iTunes review from Kirby in Ohio. And this cool review says, I've been listening to this amazing podcast for a year and a half. I always look forward to their new podcast. They've helped me in preparation for my first flock, the Gold Hen Girls. (laughs) which consists of Dorothy, Rose, Sophia, and Blanche. How adorable. And listening to the podcast has helped me in my integration of the new Designing Women flock. (laughs) This is my kind of person. I like it. (laughs) Of Julia, Suzanne Chickenbaker, Mary Jo Chively, Charlene, and Bernice Cliffen. Susie and Don are both entertaining and informative. This podcast will not disappoint. Thank you, Susie and Don, for all your guidance. Oh, man. I just was cracking up when I read that. You guys don't realize these iTunes reviews, they make my day. I know I say it every time we get one. It does not get old. 
Well, it was a banner week because we also received another review from Linda in Marietta. And Linda says, I wait eagerly for new podcast releases from Don and Susie. The information they share is very down to earth as well as informative. I have listened to every episode multiple times and never ceased to enjoy them. Well, Kirby and Linda, thank you for those awesome reviews. We really appreciate it. And you are immediately promoted to good listener status. Absolutely. Okay, well, before we get back to your questions, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping on Amazon this week, consider going to our website first at onlinechickenschool.com and click on the Amazon link over there. And it's going to take you to the same Amazon site that you know and love, and you're paying the exact same price for the things you buy, but Amazon gives us a little bit of commission, and this helps us pay some of the podcasting bills. So if you like the show and you want to help us keep it up, just go to onlinechickenschool.com and click on the Amazon link to make all your Amazon purchases. Some of you do this on a regular basis, and we really, really appreciate it. You guys are the best. There they go again. More shameless self-promotion. Okay, so we're going to springboard off a question we received and try and answer the question, can you get the state to come to your house and test your chicken for diseases for free? And this all stems from a question we got from our good listener, Rachel. Right. Rachel contacted us back in May and uh, she had a chicken that sounded like it was going downhill pretty fast and unfortunately uh, gave some suggestions, but the chicken died the following day. You know, it's one of those things where when a chicken gets sick, when it's really lethargic, you got to move on these things quick. And even if you do, sometimes they're just too far gone. Unfortunately, that was the case for her. Now, we've talked before about sudden illnesses and sudden deaths in your flock. Mm -hmm. They will happen from time to time. And sometimes it's just life. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have, especially if they're young. If you have a baby chick and everything appeared to be fine and it appeared to be growing well with the other ones, but something just didn't go right in their development and you go out there one day and you just find them laying in the coop, Mm -hmm. that can happen. Sure. And then there are other times when you can really point to a disease that either came from the place you got the chickens in the first place, Mm -hmm. or you brought a chicken into the flock. Or you maybe were playing in somebody else's coop and you brought a disease home to your flock. Or, you know, there's a number of ways, or it could be wild birds. There's a number of ways that your chickens can catch a disease. And while most of the chicken illnesses have the potential to be deadly, it's not like 100% of your chickens are typically going to fall over. Mm-hmm. So while one of your chickens may have died, it, there is a possibility that the rest of your chickens are carrying some disease mm-hmm. and they just aren't showing any symptoms or you didn't notice the symptoms and they're either in imminent danger or they're fine, but now they're carriers and you need to treat them different from now on. Either way, you're going to want to know that as a chicken owner, at least I would. Absolutely. And the best way you're going to find out what that chicken died from and what the risk is to your flock is with a necropsy. A necropsy is basically an autopsy for a chicken. Do you think the people who do necropsies get to drive around in a really cool station wagon like Quincy M.E. got to? You loved that show. I loved that show growing up. That was one of my favorite shows. And you think that the chicken necropsy guy drives around in a, what would you call it, a little corner vehicle? 
Well, that was my favorite part of the show. I always wanted to be a medical examiner when that show was on TV. I was like 12 at the time. Okay, creepy. Because I thought, he drives around in this black station wagon that says coroner on it. Mm-hmm. And every place you saw him at was either at a restaurant or at a bar. <laughs> and you know his car was parked out front. Right. And then I thought, you know, I'll bet you you get to eat for free pretty much anywhere if you just say, hey, I'm in a hurry. My coroner van's parked out front. No problem. Here you go. How much? No problem. Just, it's free. Just get out of here. Just get out. Go, go, yeah. go. Yeah, you get the fastest service ever. Because I imagine if I pulled up it, into a restaurant parking lot and saw a corner truck or corner van, I would not be eating there. Yeah, I think you get to cut the line. Mm-hmm. They move you straight to the head of the line, and I don't think they make you pay. So I wanted to. But then when I got to biology, I figured out I didn't really like cutting into animals that much. Right. So that kind of blew that dream. So we definitely were... Not pushing her, but highly recommending that she try and find a place where she can have a necropsy done. Now, she did call her local extension, wasn't able to get through to them. So she called the state and they went, absolutely, we'll come out and just test your flock. No need to do a necropsy. We'll come out and test them. And we'll also go to that breeder and test them as well. Well, that sounds fantastic, right? No charge. Well, that would be the first thing you jump on is the no charge. Well, yeah, everybody knows. I'm like, ooh, free? I'll do that. Now, getting a necropsy really is not that expensive. I don't remember the number, but as I remember, it's like tens of dollars. Okay. It's not like you're paying $200 to have, you know, because it's not really Quincy who's doing it. Oh, okay. I thought you got like the Quincy. If you want Jack Klugman to do it, that's probably going to cost you 150 bucks <laughs> At least. Now, when I think about having to send the bird out for a necropsy, I don't think about the tens of dollars. Right. What I think about is, oh, this is going to be a big pain in the patooties because you have to take the bird, store them in something cool. You can't leave them out in the humidity and the heat Mm, of Florida. So, you know, I got to find some room in the refrigerator (laughs) for this bird. (laughs) I have to wrap them up right. And then you have to contact the state that will give you instructions And you have to put them in the right kind of package. You have to take them to the post office and say, how do I mail my bird? I mean, to me, mentally, it's a big thing. It is a hassle. Yep. I'm overplaying it a little bit. Mm -hmm. But to me, it feels like a big thing more than the tens of dollars. But you know what would actually happen if we actually sent a bird off to get the necropsy? You would say, hey, honey, here's a bird. Send it (laughs) off for the necropsy. (laughs) And I would have to figure out all that junk. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to say is even that just seems like a lot of work. (laughs) It sounds like it would help me out if you could just come get the bird without me having to ask you to take care of it. Mm. Because that's just a lot of work, too. I mean, if you could offer instead of making me ask, yeah, that'd be great. Now, Rachel did take the state up on their option for coming out and testing the flock. And they gave her a date. And that date came and went, and they gave her another date. And then they did finally show up, and I assume take blood draws. And then you wait. And then you wait, and you wait, because we all know nothing moves quickly with the state, right? And then you get to an important moment where you wait some more. (laughs) Exactly. Now, she waited for two months. Now, think about that. Yes, you're getting it for free, but the whole point of doing the testing was that you're concerned whether your other birds in your flock have a disease or not. Mm -hmm. And if they do, how can I start treating them? I want to know what disease it is. Mm -hmm. 
So for you to wait two months, well, uh, pretty much any of the deadly diseases are going to come and go and they're either going to die from them or they're going to survive them in that time period. Right. So getting information back in two months is not all that helpful. Right. Well, when the results finally did come in from the state, uh, she messaged me and said, well, guess what? My flock does not have salmonella or avian influenza. Sounds like it's time to celebrate, right? Yeah. That's great news. Mm-hmm. Problem is, she still doesn't know what caused her bird to die. All she knows is they ran those two tests and they both came back negative. So basically to answer our original question, yes, the state will typically be very happy to come out and test your birds for diseases for you at no charge. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they only test for the diseases that they are interested in. Right. They are only interested in the diseases that if they were in your flock, your flock could be a threat to the state's poultry system. So because the state only tested for the diseases they're interested in, where does that leave Rachel? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think it kind of leaves her in the same position she was before she got the test. Yeah, just two months down the road. Yeah, you don't know what caused your bird to die. You don't know if it's an infectious disease that affected the rest of your flock because it could be Merix, E. coli, MG, a host of other chicken illnesses. Okay, so why would that matter? Let's say that it was a disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are contagious, so let's just assume that the rest of the birds have whatever that bird died from. Mm-hmm. Why would it matter? They all survived. So what difference does it make whether she knows or not that they have a disease? Because clearly they survived it. In two months, the odds are very likely they would have succumbed to it if they were going to. Mm-hmm. So why would you care? Well, they may have survived it, but in most cases, they are now going to be lifelong carriers of that disease. Right. Which means, you know how we're always preaching biosecurity? She has to be really serious about the biosecurity, but really in reverse. You know, we're always telling you, don't go play in other people's chicken coops so that you don't bring their diseases home to your flock. Mm-hmm. Now... Rachel has to have in the back of her head, I can't go play in my friend's chicken coop because I could take the diseases from my flock. If they're there, I don't even know if they are, but if they are, I could take them to another flock and I could contaminate somebody else's flock. Right. What a horrible feeling if uh, if you actually did that. Could you imagine? Like, it's one thing having a sick flock yourself that, like you said, our carriers not showing any symptoms, but to know that you infected somebody else's flock, ugh, that that would be tough. But the other thing is, it is also the possibility that, like I started with, this chicken just died of who knows what, but wasn't tied to a disease. It was just a failure to survive. Mm -hmm. And her birds are fine. But she can't really rest in the comfort of thinking that because she just doesn't know. You don't have the information to be secure in that. Mm -hmm. So it, it really puts her in a tough position. And by the way, Two months down the road, it's too late to send the bird out for a necropsy. I'm pretty sure she doesn't still have the bird, mm-hmm. and you can't wait two months to send it in anyway. So it's not like once you find out from the state that, oh, they didn't do what I thought they were going to do, well, now I'll have the necropsy done. Mm-hmm. You can't. The only thing she could do would be to take one of her existing birds to the vet and have it tested like we do for you know the whole panel of diseases. Which is a lot more expensive than a necropsy. It's a heck of a lot more expensive. And when I was talking to her, she doesn't have a local vet that'll even look at chickens. So, 
you're really stuck. It is a hard position to be in. Thanks a lot, state. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, this this really brings up a kind of, a, I guess we'd call it a cousin issue. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the same, but they're close enough. And this is the issue of NPIP certification. And NPIP stands for National Poultry Improvement Plan. And this is a program that was initiated in the 1930s to help protect the nation's agricultural resources. Okay. And basically the way this works is that it, it's, a, it's a national program, but it's controlled at the state level in each state individually. So if you're a breeder and you're interested in NPIP certification, you would call the state, the, the NPIP office for your state, and you'd say, I want to get tested and certified. They'll send somebody out. They'll test your bird for diseases. And if everything comes back clean, whammo slammo, you got your certification. And now when you sell your chicks, you can say, we are an NPIP certified chicken farm. So you see that certification on an advertisement and you say, wow, I'm going to go get chickens or chicks from there because I know they are definitely disease free. They've got their certification from the state. That's a great idea. What a comfort. I know. Except it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like the issue with the state coming out to test your birds after you've had a mystery uh, illness. The state, when they come out to do the NPIP certification testing, they are not going to test your birds for every possible disease. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in whether your birds have a disease. They're interested in whether they have one of the ones that they care about. Right. Now, what makes it even more complicated is that each state runs their own program, so they determine how the testing is done, and they don't even treat all breeders the same. For instance... We do different tests for very large commercial breeders of chickens, and we do just a little baby test for backyard breeders. So whereas if they were to go up to a Tyson plant Mm -hmm. where you're breeding chickens for Tyson, well, you're going to get tested for seven or eight diseases. Right. All the big ones. However, they show up at Don and Susie's place, they're only going to test for two diseases which is Polarum typhoid and, again, avian influenza. Why? Why are they only testing for those two? Because those are the only ones that they're afraid, if they're in your backyard, they are a danger to the state's poultry system. Mm -hmm. That's why they're coming to do the testing. Therefore, in many, many places, it's very possible for a breeder to earn their NPIP certification and their flock is contaminated with MG, which is the most common poultry illness. And deadly. And deadly, yes. I mean, it it spreads through your flock and it could kill a majority of them, or like we've talked about before, they could be carriers for life. Now, does that mean when you see an NPIP certification on someone's uh, advertisement that you should just thumb your nose up at it and go, ah, that doesn't mean anything? Well, no, of course not. To me, when I see that... It tells me that that breeder probably takes breeding serious enough to actually have gone through the trouble of getting their certification. They they probably have pretty good biosecurity uh, protocols because they want to keep that certification. You know, so I wouldn't shy away, obviously, from someone that has it. But I also wouldn't see that and think wow, I can buy birds from there and be guaranteed there aren't any diseases. It's it's kind of sets you up for that false sense of security, I think. It, it's not a bad thing to have an NPIP. Just understand what it means. Don't jump to conclusions that it means something it doesn't. And 
of course, quarantine birds you get from anywhere, whether they were certified or not. Always keep them away from your existing flock for at least a month to make sure they don't show any signs of a disease that could uh, pop up and infect the rest of your birds. All right, well, that's all for this week. As always, thank you for listening. If you like the show, consider going to iTunes and giving us a really nice rating over there. Also, make sure you tell a friend and get them listening. And if you want to see the show notes for this episode, including that very, very bizarre chicken processing machine. Disturbing. Go to onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 75. Well, that's all for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com.